Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the return of the World Endurance Championship at Silverstone with the help of Mike Conway and Neil Jarney. The World Endurance Championship has shaken off its two-month Le Mans 24 hours hangover and is back in action at Silverstone this weekend. But with Toyota Trio, Sebastian Buemi, Kazuki Nakajima and Fernando Alonso having won the first two races of the 2018-19 Super Season, will this campaign continue to be a walkover for Toyota, especially in the wake of some equivalents of technology changes? I'm your host, Ed Straw. We'll have Toyota driver Mike Conway and Rebellion's Neil Jarni joining us shortly. But first, let's check in with Gary Watkins for a quick update on the state of play. So what's going on in WEC? Other than, of course, what everyone knows that Toyota's winning everything. Basically, the the equivalence of technology, the means by which uh, the ACO and the FIA, the rulemakers, are trying to balance the hybrid factory cars, which means Toyota, with the privateers, uh, has been tweaked. The privateers have been given more fuel in an attempt to bring them closer to, to Toyota. Uh, more fuel, of course, means more power. And that's more instantaneous fuel flow, which is measured in kilograms per hour. But uh, that's uh, a bit complicated. 
So basically, the gap that was enshrined in the rules for Spa and Le Mans of 0.25%, equivalent of um, half a second at Le Mans, has been eradicated, or the idea that theoretically it has been eradicated. Uh, and that's whether it has been, <laughs> we will get to find out on uh, Sunday, I guess. Uh, it's all very complicated and there's far too many numbers and figures and explaining it is uh, is very difficult. I think the bottom line, though, is that it's, it's still tied to championship, isn't it? And I guess that the big thing is, is Fernando Alonso going to continue this this great wave of success? He's won two races leading the championship. He's ticked off the Le Mans 24 hours. He's not going to be distracted by Formula One next year. We now we now know. So this this has to be a big focus focus for him now, isn't it? Closing out this championship. It sounds slightly strange to say that, given we're what ten months away from the season finale at Le Mans next year. But what a foundation! Two wins. Absolutely. Well, we've when we were sort of talking to uh, Alonso in the run up to the season, you know, everyone was talking about the triple crown. He was keen to underplay that and saying, "I'm coming here to win a championship." Yes, I'm coming to win Le Mans. That happens to be part of a triple crown. Yeah, which the triple I, crown he'd been going on incessantly about for the past year. But he also said, "I want to be world champion because obviously he hasn't been world champion for quite some few years." So I think you know. Any driver in any championship wants to win, wants to win it, doesn't it? You know, he wants to win races. He wants to win the championships. I think that is his focus. Uh, I think there are two evenly matched uh, trios at Toyota. You know, things could have gone the other way at Le Mans. I think, you know, it, it was a decisive period in the night when the winning car had the edge. And we, we've seen that so many times. There's sort of... Uh, uh, a happy hour at the end of the night at the beginning of the morning uh, when the winning car seems to come through if you think of uh, of the year when the other uh, Formula 1 driver won Hulkenberg with Nick Tandy and Earl Bamber back in 2015 that was the time when they uh, asserted their advantage over the other Porsche and and it was the same this time you know the Alonso car came back from it from a penalty uh made up the ground and then sort of came into the lead in the morning well i'm sure we'll talk a lot more about the uh the toyota battle later on when we've got mike conway uh joining us of course he shares the the other toyota with uh Kamui kobayashi and jose maria lopez how about in the world of uh in the world of gt gte pro obviously is as closely fought as ever uh, <laughs> at le mans this year there's always a that's always a, a class to watch even if it's uh further down in the classification well, yeah, I mean, um, I think we're going to have a close fight here again. It'd be interesting to see which, uh, which cars suit the circuit layout. Obviously, um, a fast flowing circuit here. Uh, there's EOT and LMP1, but we have BOP, balance of performance in GTE Pro. Uh, Bop sounds better than Yacht. It does, doesn't it? Bop has a, has a ring to it. Um, the BOP is different at Le Mans. And this, again, it's, it's a, it's a very strange, um, well, complicated system in the, for the regular races, the six hour races plus the, uh, slightly longer, uh, Sebring race. There's something called the auto BOP or the automatic BOP balance of performance where, there are changes made to the weight and powers of the car 
based on a, a complicated algorithm that I've never seen and I'm told I wouldn't understand even if I, I did. It's and, not an algorithm involving a dartboard, is it? <laughs> I, I'm told not. Um, I'm told it's highly scientific and and changes are made that on a under that algorithm on a two-race two rolling basis. So in theory, there should be no changes for here. But there is uh, another rule which is some people call the blackball rule that allows for the BOP to be reset. And that has been invoked here. And Aston Martin have had a BOP change and Ferrari have had a very small BOP change here. And, and the idea of that is, is sort of to bring them back into the window so that when, and when the auto BOP kicks in, then it has an effect because I think if if there had been no change for Aston ahead of this race, the first round of BOP changes would have come in at Fuji in October, and basically uh, the new Aston Martin Vantage would have been uncompetitive once again because under the auto BOP you can only change by so much; the increments are not are not massive. Uh, so I think this allows. Aston Martin to come into the window so they won't be necessarily competitive here although they will be closer but come Fuji in the first round of proper auto BOP changes they will come into the window and I'm very much hoping be competitive. Is, is there a GC Pro favourite this weekend? Obviously the first round at Spa was won by the Ford of Stefan McOlivier Pla and Billy Johnson and then at Le Mans Porsche uh, came through with Michael Christensen, Kevin Astro and uh, Laurence Van Tour. It's always it always strikes me as a bit almost feels like a bit of a lottery uh, GT Pro with uh, how close things are the quality of the drivers and the the whole balance of performance. Absolutely, you know the balance of performance. It, it does what it says on the tin. It's meant to balance the performance, and and you know it can be very close and should be very close. And the auto BOP will hopefully make it ever closer. Uh, I think I think the Ford will be strong here. You know, just the the architecture of the car. Uh, I'm expecting Ferrari weren't competitive at Spa, not, not as competitive as they might have been, although the car did show some uh, pace at the end of the race. I'm expecting them to be very, very competitive. But then I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, it will be so close that any driver who makes a mistake or any team that makes a mistake in the pits, you know, will be out of it. So, uh, no, I think they have all all should be in a shot. Possible, with the possible exception of Aston Martin or the probable exception of Aston Martin. Uh, but I, I'd put my money on Ford, given the nature of the circuit. Well, joining us now, very pleased to welcome Mike Conway, driver of the number seven Toyota, alongside Jose Maria Lopez and Kamui Kobayashi. Now, Mike, it's been a, a good season for you in many ways so far, but obviously second in the championship, second in both the races. How would you evaluate things so far? Well, I suppose, you know, looking at the, the results, um, it's been definitely obviously good for the team in terms of team results. I mean, Le Mans was obviously the one we needed to win. You know, that was the one. It was all about the winning and finishing second was very important as well. So to achieve, you know, both those Spa and Le Mans has been very good. But um, obviously, you always want to be on the winning side of it. And we've definitely been quick enough to be there. It's just kind of, yeah. Things haven't gone quite away. So, um, but you know, as long as we're there scoring the points, we're still in, in, in a shout for the, for the championship. So long season to go. Um, 
we have really got to start winning, I suppose, as a, as a car in Team 7. So, um, and yeah, it's possible. You know, it's a good circuit for us here. Um, we all know well. And the next two coming up as well, we're all, we're all quick. So, yeah, no reason why we can't, can't start winning. And I guess the fact you've got another Le Mans in this season to look forward to because often the double points at Le Mans kind of skews things for the rest of the year. But there's, uh, there's two this year, what with it being the super season. So it's, it's kind of all to play for and like maybe things have been a bit more distorted in previous years. Yeah. You know, that's good to have two Le Mans in one season, two spas. Um, it's good that it's not the complete double points because then it would otherwise, you know, there would be really hard to catch up. But, um, now what is like an extra 12? Is it now for the, for the win um, compared to normal races. So um, so that's good. I suppose it keeps it closer throughout the season. But um, yeah, I mean, it won't take too long. If you know, if if you had the reverse results for the next three races, then we're, we're pretty much there. So, um, but yeah, the next Le Mans, obviously we've got a target to to win it as a team again. And, um, and it'd be nice to be car seven that crosses the line first. You've come, sec- you come close a couple of times now at Le Mans. I mean, I was, I knew the late Bob Wallach, the guy who, you know, kept trying to win it, uh, never managed it. Uh, and it was sort of became a monkey on his back in a way. Do you, do you feel the same? And, and I mean, I guess it's like Anthony, who we were just talking to in the paddock, Anthony Davidson, you know, I mean, do you, does it, does a frustration build up because it's such a big race? Uh, because, you know, you've been there within sort of touching distance. It, it can do, yeah. I mean, it's such a big race and, you know, becomes your your complete focus for the season, you know. So, you know, as soon as one is over, you're I'm already thinking about, you know, 19 Le Mans. So, yeah, I mean, it's obviously you want you want to win it and come close a few times and always been there. With I think as long as you're, you always turn up with a chance to, to win, I think that's, that's all you can ask. Well, I wouldn't say all you can ask for, but that's, you know, as long as you have the chance when you turn up to win, then that's that's all you ask for. So, but um, yeah, obviously finishing second a couple of times now, and you know second at Daytona, uh, third at Sebring. <laughs> it was like the whole year so far has been loads of seconds and thirds. So yeah, I I, I just need to win a race. You know, it's, I think it's been since uh, 2016 in Fuji. So yeah, I'm. Due to win some races, that's for sure. You know, we're knocking on the door all the time in any championship. So that's, you know, as long as you're doing that every time, then hopefully the results will, will come. Although you may not have the Le Mans win yet, you have won the Long Beach Grand Prix twice. So there's not many. In yeah, you can yeah say that's that. all right. I got that one. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely won some good races. That's for sure over the years. But um, yeah, I mean, sports cars, you know, there's always the big ones you want to tick off. Daytona, Sebring, Le Mans. Um, you have your own triple crown or we have our own triple crown yeah, in sports car racing don't exactly we? yeah exactly so been on the podium many times there but uh yeah need to win but you know i feel like i got many years ahead of me going to these places so hopefully um i'll get it done now gary we were talking before mike joined us about the the kind of championship battle between the two cars and obviously lots of people have looked at the fact that fernando alonso's in one car and suggestions of favoritism obviously at spa there was the the team orders late on because with the cars stacked together to to hold position but i guess gary i mean it is a it is a fair fight isn't it perhaps get your comments on that and then uh, well, get mike to explain how it works if if you look uh, at the s- restart after the second safety car at le mans 
if anyone suggests that Toyota weren't letting their drivers go for it, I I had my heart in my mouth. Were you in the car? No, you weren't in the no, car, were you? No, Jose and Fernando. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for, for a lot of that lap, both Toyotas didn't have all four wheels on the track, as far as I can say, or inside the white lines, you know. Yeah. So for anyone who was saying that, you know, Toyota were playing it conservatively, weren't allowing their drivers to race, you know, that's that's absolute rubbish. I mean, sure, at, at Spa, there was a hold positions, but but there, that is the case. That was the case at Spa last year, in fact, as well, yeah. wasn't it? And, you know, that's 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 common policy that Toyota have had. There was no no change as far as I could see. Uh and, you know, we've seen it from, well, we've seen it much more overtly from Porsche uh, oh, yeah. over the last few years before their withdrawal. So, you know, for me, you know, anyone who, who, who's making these favoritism claims should, uh, should get their facts straight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, you're right. There was a good little battle going on. I think uh, everyone was a little bit worried. Not worried, but like a bit on the edge of the seat as you were. I'm hoping that we're all going to get through it okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're all professional out there. You know, we'll race as hard as we can, but obviously not risking, um, you know, two cars not finishing. So, you know, that's that's the main thing. So, yeah, and, and I mean, with fixing positions, it's, it's just something that can happen at the end of a race. You know, if you're free to race all the way through and and you get to the last stop, you know, if, if you want to fix, fix things at that point, then it's kind of fair enough. Uh, in some situations, you know, especially when you're got a one-two finish on the table and things are looking good, then uh, that's understandable. You know, all over the racing world, that kind of that can go on. So, um, but if you know going in before the before the race, then it's kind of fine because then you know race is on until that last stop. Let's look ahead a bit to, to this weekend, the Silverstone round, third round of the of the Super Season. What are the expectations going in this weekend? Clearly Toyota's favourite. Silverstone maybe not always the happiest hunting ground for Toyota, but mm. you know, are you, are you expecting it to be a to be a battle with the with the sister car or are you worried a bit about yeah, the, the well, I think, privateers? Um I think the privateers will be good here because, you know, the amount of downforce they can run and you know, no restriction on fuel per lap really with them. So um and for us it's harder to recover energy around here. So um fuel cuts are quite big for us. Um yeah, so there's definitely parts of the track I think they'll be they'll be quick, like maggots, beckets, where we have to conserve a bit of fuel through there. They can they can drive just flat out. So yeah, I think there's definitely areas they'll be faster. And but then there's places where we will be faster in terms of acceleration off the corners and the long radius corners where we where our four wheel drive really comes into play and and they just have have rear. So it's um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. But between the two cars, yeah, it's always going to be. A good battle. Uh, last year was similar, very close all the way through, and changing positions all the way throughout until we had a our car. We had an issue with the rear roll bar disconnected, so all of a sudden we had a a very soft rear end that was bouncing around, um, and then we kind of lost lost positions and and time fixing it in the pits. So yeah, um, but yeah, we have a good car here. Balance was nice. It's going to be interesting with the resurfacing. You know, we had a lot of things with F1 around here saying it was very bumpy and I think it was more some teams complaining more than others. So we'll see when we get out there. Um, grip should be a bit higher, so that's going to be fun. Turns one, we can normally get it flat anyway, but 
you know, um, with some extra bumps in there, it can make it tricky. And then turn nine, um, that should be fun through there as well if it's a bit more grip. So, I mean, we're not flat through nine. It's definitely a lift for us. So, Sorry, what's nine? It's cops. Ah, cops. So, okay. yeah, the old turn one, wasn't it? The old it? turn yeah. one, yeah. So, uh, which is a cool corner. Very cool. Uh, really tricky. Track limits is easy to go do it over a little bit there, which I did in qualifying last year. So, um, yeah, it's a real, you know, picking your entry, getting through it. An exit is a real fine line, you know, getting it right. So, and when you do it, it's, it's a lot of fun. And Gary, we should talk a little bit about Mike himself as a driver. He's perhaps one of the, the kind of West stealth stars of this championship in that he's perhaps not the first name that maybe comes to mind among the fans of the LMP1 drivers, but you know, the quality Mike's shown in recent years, you know, emerging as one of the, the absolute top guns in, well, in P1. I think last year you had him very well up in your, in your top I 10. did. A, I think in my end of season, uh, WEC review, um, where did I have you? Third, second? Yeah, thank you for that. I was, <laughs> I definitely been working my way, my way up through your numbers, which has been nice. So, do you, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you agree with me? Cause sometimes when I suggest to drivers that they've been making progress, they've been improving, they they don't see it like that, and they they almost sort of take it as a bit of a, a criticism. Do, would mm. you would you agree with me that you know as you've you know stepped up from LMP2, joined Toyota, you know then become a full season driver that you know there has been a progression. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you've always got to keep learning and improving as a driver. So yeah, no, I felt like it's it's been that kind of journey. So. Um, yeah, thank you for the compliments. Yeah, it was um, very nice. And it's funny, like, we all talk about it, waiting for the end of the year and then seeing where we're at. And then... Uh, no, Seb, Sebastian talks about it. He's yeah, obsessed he, with it. Yeah, he, he can be. He can get a little bit upset if you don't put him too far up, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Um, but it's good. The way you review all the drivers and stuff is quite, you know, it's interesting. So, yeah, it's good to see that it's viewed like that. I think just talking about drivers improving... Um, I was lucky enough to um, report and see Michael Schumacher racing as a youngster as part of the Mercedes Junior program. Obviously, we know Carl Wendlinger and Heinz Harold Frentzen were part of that program as well. You know, and there, were, there was a debate at the time about who was the best. And Nearpash, the art, Jochen Nearpash, the BMW motorsport boss and the architect of that program, you know, said at the time that he thought Frentzen was the most naturally gifted and the quickest. Uh, and there were different, he had, there were different viewpoints in the paddock and from sort of people watching, you know, of course we know Schumacher went on to become one of the all time great uh, Formula One drivers. And I, I believe that that is that he continued to improve and he continued to improve through his time in Formula One. Whereas I think the other drivers just didn't have that level of progression. And Schumacher just kept getting better and better. I don't know what, at what point he peaked. You, you, Ed, you'd be better, uh, place to, to suggest when that might have been. But, you know, he just kept on getting better. It was quite a long peak. Yes. <laughs> I think it's yes. Really the best way absolutely. To look at it. And I just think, yeah, that's, sometimes we sort of overlook, uh, the need for self-improvement and learning and experience and those things. Well, that's what the best drivers do, doesn't it? And obviously, mm. Mike fortunately hasn't taken you saying he improved. Uh, effectively, you saying he was rubbish when he first started. That's, uh, that's <laughs> well, a positive thing. I do. Some drivers, <laughs> Some drivers have, have interpreted yeah. uh, my words in those ways. Right. 
Well, I didn't take it as I was rubbish. So, <laughs> so you're right, you're off the hook. But, uh, <laughs> I should actually say that I covered Mike when he won the Formula Renault UK Championship in 2004. Four, and yeah. And I definitely put cool. your number, I'm, well, I hope I put your number one, I'm sure I did. Yeah, I, I yeah, can't, I think I you can't, did. Because you absolutely dominated that season, so. Yeah, cool. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Time just flies by 14 years ago. It's yeah. mad, isn't it? Yeah. And that was an incredibly competitive championship. Yeah, yeah. I know, well, you, I know you did your best to make it look like it wasn't by walking away with it, but it, mm. the quality of drivers and yeah, yeah, that was cool. I love, love. Um, I mean, I felt like I did okay in Formula Ford, but Formula Renault, I felt like it just suited me more. You know, like more, just some downforce in the car and, and decent tires. It just yeah found a, a good step. But yeah, as you say, with drivers progressing, I think you have to. You know, like the level is so high all the time that just you can't have off weekends you know and if you do you've got to really figure out why and you know how you can do to improve it so yeah i mean it's always a challenge isn't it with yourself all the time isn't it whatever you do you're always trying to beat yourself if not the next guy so yeah that's what it's all about and could, and could we say this about uh fernando his obsession uh about learning and his obsession with detail, you know, flying back from Baku and watching six hours of in-car footage from Spa, the Spa wet race last year. You know, he's a guy who leaves no stone unturned, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, you can see why, you know, why he's world, world champion and, and a great driver. So, yeah, I mean, you've got you to gotta push as much as you can. You can't sit back, I don't think, really, even though... I know I raced here last year and all the rest of it doesn't mean that, you know, the same preparation as the year before, watching all the onboard qualifying practice, all the race, all the stints from your own camera and, and the next car, you know, it's just the way we prepare and, and you've got to be like that because the track time is so short, especially with sports cars, you never feel like you get enough time in the car until you get in the race and then you get loads of laps. But up until then, it's quite short. So you've got to you know, maximize your time and feel like you know everything coming into the weekend. And when you're, when you're doing that as a driver, what, what could you actually learn from studying on board and, and that kind of thing, particularly when you're experienced in the, in the car? Is it, is that anything specific you're looking it's, for? Yeah. Like you're just seeing the way the other, other drivers are driving around the track, what they're doing with, um, you know, the way they're managing the fuel, where they're braking, you know, if they're downshifting particularly differently to you, because you know that affects the way the the energy system works and and the way they manage traffic. You know, there's kind of lots of little details you pick up on, and each driver has got their own little kind of tiny difference in lines and what that does in terms of lap time. Effectively, it's what you always want to try and find. So yeah, definitely a lot of things are picked up on um, preparing for the weekend. So yeah, and then you the fun bit is going out there and put it into practice so yeah and i guess the team also give you a lot of analysis in terms of minimizing time loss going through traffic that kind of thing you know huge yeah. amounts of detail that it's quite yeah, difficult to sort of it's, see from it's the non-stop outside. that stuff um you know where certain cars are positioned on different parts of the track what that means in terms of how you got to manage your boost on the exit of the corners things like that just to minimize any loss of time so it's quite tricky to learn it all it's more you learn a bit more when you're out there driving and you have certain situations happen to you and feel like oh, I could have done something differently there or I could have or I got that right. Next time I know if there's a car in this position, I'll know what to do. So, yeah, a lot to think about. And um, it, it was there, you know, when Audi and Porsche, they were all doing the same as well. So, um, 
yeah, we've got to still continue to to keep pushing because when manufacturers come back in in uh, a couple of years' time, it's going to be that that level and higher. So yeah, we've got to keep keep pushing. Have things changed in terms of being a Toyota driver? in this season with no manufacturer opposition. Obviously, you've been racing against in the past Porsche and before that Audi as well. Does it make any any real difference to the way way you're doing things? I guess it must slightly slightly skew the, the mindset and the approach of the team because you know it's not going to be quite the same nature of battle. Yeah, it's more against one car than it is, you know, another four or five out there. But um, still, we approach it the same way. So, um, yeah, we still approach it as maximised performance, um, in every session and and especially qualifying in the race to do the best possible job so um, <clears throat> a bit different when yeah when you're not racing the likes of Audi and Porsche and in between sessions you're not looking at their on board to see how their cars reacting certain things like that is, is missing but in terms of performance and maximizing what we do when we're out there it's still the same and Gary would you say that the the number seven title is probably due a win Given the level of performance? Well, yes. I mean, I think if you look, obviously, you started with one hand tied behind your back at Spa. Uh, yeah. Le Mans, you know. And that, that was with the penalty at the start, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. So you started a lap down. A lap well, down. More than a lap down, really. Yeah. Isn't I, it? I don't know why they, the rule is so harsh there. You know, like, I mean, okay, you've already got to start in pit lane. You got a penalty there. But then to start a full lap down, you know, let the grid completely yeah. pass one time by is. It's so harsh, you know, especially if, it, I mean, what happened if, if that would have to happen at Le Mans, you know, well, it's nearly game over at the start, yeah, absolutely. you know, eight, eight and a half miles down. Yeah. That's, Plus, you know, you'd be at least with, down, at least with you? Spa, yeah. like we had the pace and we, we got lucky with the safety cars and, and we got it back fairly quickly. But, you know, to get that back at Le Mans, oh, you, you could be waiting a long, long time yeah. for that to happen. I mean, at Le Mans, there were, were, were periods of the race when you were as quick or quicker than the other car seemed yeah. to me in that sort of that uh, that nighttime period which we often see as quite crucial that they they definitely had the edge yeah they it. they were fast in the in the night no kind of uh doubting that one yeah they just i think they just could keep the tires in a better window you know everything's so close on working and um yeah i just felt like we lacked a little bit definitely in the night to keep the lap times we are kind of grip level dropped off and theirs seem to be quite constant so yeah um it did hurt us in terms of the lead we had at that point really shrunk down but um once it kind of warmed back up again we were kind of even terms again but then yeah the kind of the advantage was gone at that point so then it was down to you know however the race panned out then on the last kind of eight hours so um yeah, it was tricky, you know. It's tough when to see the lead dwindle down and nothing you can do, you know. Uh, that's always hard, but uh, just the way it unfolds sometimes, unfortunately. And what was the whole experience of Le Mans like? I'm thinking from the perspective of you're a Toyota driver. Toyota was clear favourites, but Toyota has a has this terrible history of, of coming close there. I think half a dozen near misses, basically. And obviously you've been around for, for some of those. I mean, I, I guess that I can only imagine what the, the sort of the overall tension was like and just the, there's this incredible achievement within the grasp of the, of the team, but just the knowledge that there's this sort of dark cloud of history <laughs> hanging over. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could, you, yeah. I mean, you just feel it all the time, you know, that, 
um, everyone's kind of carrying it on the shoulders, you know, hoping that we can just do, you know, obviously get the win. So, um, and until we did it, that wasn't going to go. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there was probably more pressure this year because we were on our own to, to get it done. And if we hadn't got it done, then, yeah, there would have been a lot of, a lot of questions. So, um, you know, I'm glad we did and we did it, um, you know, in a good way. We, the team did a pretty faultless job. Uh, the way we prepared this season as well was even more than ever. And, um, yeah, it was great. Great to see the, you know, the, the elation of everybody, you know, getting the win, um, and that kind of weight off of people's shoulders a little bit, especially, in the top management so <laughs> i'm sure they took a, a deep breath and a bit of a sigh after that one so uh but it was great you know winnings winning you know is it's always the best feeling in the world so uh and you were gen you know genuinely happy for everybody you know even though it wasn't your car you were still very very happy so uh it was good nice feeling Toyota, of course you you change the strategy you know uh pascal vasselon your technical director talked about fake problems uh, so basically you simulated the kinds of disasters or unexpected things that have struck you before and could could have struck you again. You simulated them. And I think that's quite important because Toyota matched its strategy to the way the race, the way the opposition had changed, you know, and you can only beat those people in front of you. You know, some people saying, oh, it's an empty win for Toyota because there are no... Uh, other manufacturers i don't buy that toyota's proved that it can beat other man proved that it has the pace uh to beat other manufacturers in the past didn't get the job done because of you know the things that can bite you at le mans this time it did get the job done it changed its strategy to ensure that it did so you know i don't i don't sort of buy the theory that uh yeah it's an em- it's an empty win in any way whatsoever and you know le mans is all about storylines we remember that you know, we remember Bentley winning Le Mans because it was Bentley's comeback victory in two thousand and three. Everyone's forgotten that there there was no opposition, uh, no factory opposition, and the privateer Audis uh, that were, up, were that were up against them were nowhere near them in the same way as uh, perhaps privateers weren't uh, anywhere close to the Toyotas this time. Yeah, yeah, and then and the years that Audi you know won when they were very much on their own as well so yeah i mean a win is is still uh, hard to achieve whatever conditions around the mine you know so we all kind of know that so um but i did feel like we were going to get everything thrown at us <laughs> for whatever reason this year but um it went pretty faultless so so that was good um but i was expecting maybe you know huge downpours at the wrong time <laughs> you know in the middle of the night or something just to make it that little bit harder for us and you know miss them on not making it easy for us so uh but it, it all went pretty okay no no issues no real no rain i know well there was a little a few sprinkles at the beginning uh oh, that's true. Sorry, after like 45 minutes yeah. wasn't there it was like a few little drips here and there which uh, we all just kind of took it easy didn't risk too much then and then and then it was gone anyway so but yeah another warm dry them on so it has been like that in the last Three years now, I suppose. What was the most difficult thing you had to do in testing? So, yeah, do you have to do the kind of get the car back with no wheels and no engine and no steering yeah, wheel? Yeah, yeah, they'd <laughs> simulate, yeah, like just any any issues basically, and we'd have to remember what to do. So, um, 
normally we'd wait for communication anyway if something does go wrong um but then sometimes they were simulating that the radio didn't work either and and things like that so yeah but we all did good we all um we all brought her home all in one piece and and and, and did the right procedures which is the main thing so um but yeah it was really interesting to to do that because then it's always in the back of your mind because sometimes you have things in the manual which nah, i never use that you know i kind of know it's there but and you kind of remember what to do. But uh, when you go through a procedure, when it's actually happened, then it gets, you know, ingrained a bit more on, on what to do. So, yeah, it was good. Good prep. And we'll continue to do that um, for next year's Le Mans 2. Shows the complexity of being an LMP1 driver. I guess before we let you go, just for, for this weekend, are you, you've had, you've had a couple of, well, a couple of months away, for, away from it. So you kind of, do you get to the point where you're kind of desperately yeah, ready to I'm go? Yeah, ready to go. Ready to go. You know, too much time off. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm dreading the one after this to, to Fuji, to be honest, because it's another, you know, two months. So, and that's um, going to be a big race for Taita as well. Yeah, another big, big home race. So looking forward to that. And I always love spending time in Japan. So, but yeah, getting back to, you know, coming here to Silverstone. Yeah, I'm ready to go. It's been uh, a good few weeks. Last one was Watkins Glen for me with uh, IMSA which was end of June. So, yeah, it's been a good month and a half, really, to no driving. Um, I've been out on, like, some little go-karts and indoor stuff just for fun with some friends, but... You've been down Buckmore Park then, have you? No, it was actually uh, in America, in um, one of those K1 places, like an electric go-karts indoors. So, they're quite fun, actually. So, had had some fun doing that, racing some strangers and bumping into people but there that that's it so yeah can't wait to get back in the real car i mean this car is such a pleasure to drive lots of power lots of grip all the all the stuff you want well best of luck for this weekend and hope you put on a a good show for the silverstone crowd so thank you we'll try hopefully they'll come out enjoy this now it's sunny yeah sunny weather excellent thank you very much mike conway cheers thank you guys well, we're very pleased to welcome Neil Jarney, Rebellion Racing Driver, drives the number one car alongside Andre Lotter and Bruno Senna. How's the season gone for you so far, Neil? It's obviously a big change for you going from the, the might of the Porsche Works team into, into Rebellion. Of course, a very good team, but a privateer team nonetheless. Yeah, you know, different. But for me, it was kind of a return. I knew Rebellion uh, from before my Porsche times. Uh, obviously, uh, thanks to Rebellion, I got to Porsche. So it was kind of coming home also for me but yeah a lot has changed since then uh cars regulations and so on and uh you know for us it was not a very easy first races uh everything was late the car was late because the decision was made quite late to move into lmp1 uh, for rebellion uh, as they were last year in lmp2 so there was a bit of catching up to do uh we could see that also at le mans Nevertheless, so far, we were quite happy with our performances, but we know where we can improve. And Gary, perhaps you can just explain what the, what the changes are here that, that may certainly help Rebellion compared to some of the immediate competitors in, in the privateer division and possibly compared to Toyota as well. Well, more fuel for a start. The uh, uh, kilograms per hour figure has gone up by... I've gone up to 115 uh, kilos per hour. So that's a, a small increase up from uh, 108, I think. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's not an insignificant percentage. And I'm told the, the power increase is pretty linear. So you can do the math. So um, your math is better than mine, but um, that's about uh, 
Am I going to say that's about 4%, isn't it? Is it 4%? 107? Uh, 108 to 115? Yeah. It's turned into a maths podcast, yeah. hasn't it? So, so you know, it's, it's not insignificant. That's for all privateers, but for Rebellion and Dragonspeed, who, are, who run the normally aspirated Gibson engine, they have a 15 kilo weight break in comparison to the turbo cars, which here means SMP with a BR engineering uh, AR powered car and the Baikoles Nissan powered Enzo CLM. Uh, and that reflects uh, all the analysis that the ACO and the FIA FIA have done oh, since Le Mans on, on all the numbers that came out of Le Mans. Uh, and they've worked out that the potential of the turbo cars is greater. Therefore, they need to give the uh, normally aspirated cars a helping hand, which is quite controversial given that Rebellion was the fastest uh, privateer at Le Mans. <clears throat> well, we were the fastest and we were not the fastest to be honest as long as the smp car was there you know they were challenging us obviously uh, we had some issues but on on pure speed they were with us um and definitely on the straight line or out of every corner we couldn't keep up with them we really came back on them in the corners um now there's always the question who had more arrow who had less arrow that's why vice versa so we'll have to see. Um, we'll see. Uh, for sure, I think the aspirated engines had less power. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's a never-ending topic anyway. It's like the BOP in, uh, in GT. Now we have it, the EOT. It's it's something you will never make everyone happy. No, absolutely. That's, that's the hard game, or that's unfortunate for the ACO. I think it's it's a very difficult thing for them to solve, and... Let's see where we end up. Only what what do you think about the chances going into the weekend? Obviously, the Rebellion team will have done plenty of analysis about what this all should mean. Obviously, everyone will be listening, hoping you'll be able to take the fight to, to Toyota all of a sudden uh, because of this. Well, clearly, we would hope so. Um, but I think we all have to be realistic. Uh, you know, first of all, actually, it would be unfair if our car suddenly goes as quick as a Toyota or is quicker than a Toyota. Because the Toyota is a better car. Um, technically seen, the team is bigger, the structure, they can just perform better. So if we just get more power, more power, more power, more power, less weight, less weight, until we are with them, I think it's also not completely fair. I think it's it's this balance of finding where is the race, where does the race start, and where it's not a race anymore, it's just a procession. And I think that's what the ACO tries to find and, and I think that's very difficult and for me it starts there that as soon as Toyota struggles has a penalty like that at Le Mans you know a one minute stop and go they have a little crash they have to change parts or whatever or they yeah they miss a pit fuel window that we are back on them and then we can put pressure I think that's what the race would be. So you would just wait until they have a, a little hiccup. And I think that's what we are hoping for. And if that if we achieve that this weekend, then uh, we're already happy. I think in a straight one-to-one fight, it will be always difficult. But the question is also always there, how fair would that be, actually? 
What we shouldn't um, forget is that it's actually a two-tier rulebook. The rulebook for the forget about the hybrid, but uh, regulations, but the aero regs for the privateers are different to the aero regs for the factories. You know that changed last year. Certain breaks um, for for the privateers at the same time as the factories, then Toyota and Porsche were pegged back with sort of changes at the front and the rear of the car. Why well, say pegged back? It was really more to sort of hold them where they were to sort of halt the continual uh, drop in, in lap time. So, you know, and it was a significant, it was aimed at creating a significant uh, reduction in downforce. So at the time that the privateers went up in downforce, the, the factory cars in theory, went down in downforce or had less tools with which to create the downforce. So it is, yeah, it, it's not, we shouldn't think that it's like racing against like here. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I guess as you've just described, Neil, basically as Rebellion, what you want to do is be the best of the privateers. And if you're always the best of the privateers, eventually things enough should go wrong for Toyota to to pick off a, a win overall here and there. That, I guess, is the is the, the classic privateer mindset in a way, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you're here, you want to win. You want to win the overall race win. I mean, that's what Andre and I have experienced, uh, and that's what we're used to, and also to take the fight to the Toyota. But I think we just have to be, yeah, kind of also realistic and fair uh, to the rule makers, to everyone, and and see, okay, what can we do this year? to overcome the issues, you know, which is only one manufacturer left. Because in the end, it helps everyone. And if we just complain, oh, we need more power, they are so much more quicker, it's unfair. I think we're also not being fair. <laughs> and I think that's where we, it's it's the balance to find and where everyone has to work a bit with each other and uh, hopefully be better than they do in Formula 1 with each other, not the, the teams. And and I, I I think that's possible here in endurance racing, and uh, and then you know WC can come out also stronger out of let's say this let's the season where we have to find a way again out of a, not a hole but out of a bit of a dead end. At Le Mans, we saw the benefits of the hybrid system. You know, you know them from ra- racing for Porsche. That you know, there's there's masses to gain in traffic when they can deploy their hybrid system. So that that increases the gap between you, the theoretical perhaps ultimate clear lap, and then there's the racing lap, uh, and the difference between the privateers and the Toyota is different. How do you think that will translate to this circuit to Silverstone? You know, with the with a hybrid system. The advantage is you're more flexible. When do you want to use the power where on track? The extra power. So obviously in qualifying, it's clear. Um, you can use it at the most efficient places because you don't expect traffic. Then in traffic, you want to actually use it wherever um, you think the biggest traffic uh, is ahead of you and, and, and you don't want to get stopped. Like let's take turn one, Silverstone here. We know if we get a, a car in front there, one and a half seconds gone, two seconds gone if a GT is in front. So you want to get him desperately before, so you boost more onto the main straight, get past him, and then you have less boost on the back part, but it's not one and a half seconds you're going to lose there. So you have that um, plus-minus game you can play. 
and I'm not sure if Toyota has that, but there has been things being developed slowly that it can predict you where you will hit the traffic. So you know, okay, if I boost now turn four, five, six, seven, um, I will get the car just before, let's say, uh, Beckett's. I will have less boost out of there, but I will have gained so much lap time. So even the predictions start now with software. Now, this is all less of a thing you can do in a private car because the power is, you have the power, it's on the throttle. I cannot save energy and use it after to overtake. So that is is something where we'll always have more difficulty. Now, that is always taken in consideration that your battery is always full, fully charged, yeah. Um, fully charged means you have to, I think Toyota, yeah, does it only by wire braking? Not uh, via the second, like like we did at Porsche, via the exhaust. So they will have to make sure they break also enough. And and Silverstone is kind of a track where you don't break that much. So it could be maybe a bit more interesting. Uh, I may remain remind uh, to last year uh, where we were with Porsche a lot slower than Toyota, but in the race suddenly after the first. Cars have passed, minutes have passed, and traffic came. We started to close the gap to Toyota because we were able to charge our battery, and Toyota wasn't able to charge the battery anymore. Um, so you know, maybe there is a an element of strategy left, and and that's what we're hoping for here. I would say that if you look at the tracks remaining on the super season schedule, this potentially, at least in the respect that you've just talked about, is the worst for Toyota. It has been last year, clearly. Um, so we're not sure how, if they've improved their efficiency in charging, recharging, we'll see. But last year, it for sure has been the worst. Uh, and you know, the more downforce they put on, the less they will have to break. The later they will break into corners. So it's all less braking. So basically, uh, a place like Fuji will be okay for them again, because you go low downforce, you have longer braking phases, but you have more power. So it's this vice versa game. So yeah, I would agree with you, Gary, that this one is uh, most probably the most difficult one for them. Mention of all the calculations with the with the hybrid car, the experience in horse times. People often, um, some of the UBA fans, kind of being critical of these sort of modern race cars. They're not so much about driving; it's all about calculation, challenge, etc. But you've obviously got a, a great comparison because you've gone from Porsche last year into a, into Rebellion. Now, clearly, from a performance point of view, you'd rather be in the in the front running car, but just from a pure driving experience, how, how do they compare? Is there anything in the argument that once you get back into a, let's say a more conventional car like the Rebellion, it's more enjoyable or, or is, is the challenge of, of driving quickly as well as mastering all the other complexities of a, of a, of a works hybrid car? Does that just create a bigger driver challenge for you to enjoy? I think both create, in the end, it's a car, four wheels, has an engine, maybe two engines. <laughs> um, Three engines in the Toyota. Yeah, three, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the nature stays the same. I think what people refer to mostly is all the little electronic gimmicks which help you drive the car or make it drive easier. Let's say uh, from traction control, which is something basic, but with uh, the brake by wire, how the brake uh, migration switches from front to rear and all these things. 
I think there, yes, you have to have a good engineer team, engineering team behind you, and you as a driver have to understand how to use those toys for your benefit. Um, if you don't use them, yes, you will struggle more. So it actually needs more thinking from the driver than in a simple car. In a simple car, you could just get in, drive, and your, let's say, natural talent, which you had, was what you had. While now you have to actually think about a lot of more details and you have to be kind of, yeah, smart. You have to be intelligent to how to go quicker. So it's actually more work <laughs> driving these uh, these highly developed cars. And yeah, maybe from that point of view, it would be nice to be uh, in, in the old cars because you can come and just drive it. Uh, and I think that is also the reason why there's so much simulator sessions nowadays. Because it's electronics and you cannot replicate the driving, but you can replicate a lot of electronic stuff. And that's why drivers have to go to the simulator um, just to prepare for that. So it has become more work. So I wouldn't say less enjoyable or more enjoyable. I think if you want to go, then you have to go and drive go-karts, shift your go-karts. That's, that's the purest you will get nearly nowadays. So for me, it's I, I like both, to be honest. And Gary, obviously you've followed very closely the World Endurance Championship for the past few years and the best drivers are still the best drivers whatever they're in aren't they obviously Neil is one of the best that's been out there in the, uh, in, in recent years so you know the, yeah. if, if you're quick you'll be quick in, yeah. in both sides if you can drive you can drive you know I think the, the great drivers transfer from different categories from different technologies and show their class uh, in all of them yeah I think that's that's a rule of thumb that I've learned. I've, do you know, I learned that fact here years ago. Steve Soper turned up. Uh, he'd done a bit of sports car racing before my time. He drove a McLaren F1 GTR here. Uh, the, um, the short tail car run by, I'm going to say it was run by Bugatti that, that year. So this was 1996. Uh, and I thought, oh yeah, old, old man in his forties, touring car driver. He's not going to be quick. And, uh, Bloody hell, was he quick? I think he put it on pole. And I'm going to say, and I'd, I'd have to look this up, but I think he spun at Luffield on his warm-up lap and still put it on pole. So I'm going to say that's quite impressive. And he was an old man. Steve, if you're listening, you were well over 40, even though you didn't admit it at the time. <laughs> well, I guess hopes for a driver like Neil, who could be still around 10 years' time. Uh, you just uh, make my career another 10 years longer, yeah. huh? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Invoices in the post. It's <laughs> <laughs> a management deal. But, uh, but it, it is interesting. I mean, talking about careers, obviously, the World Endurance Championship has changed a lot in the past few years with uh, most of the manufacturers going. I mean, what's it, what's it like to be in that position where you go from a Porsche driver to... Uh, to driving for a team like Rebellion, also just looking at, at, at the future, because like all drivers in your position, you're a top line professional driver. Like everyone, you you want a job for the long term. Do you see sports cars or this prototype racing as a as a future? Obviously, we've got all the, the change with the hypercars down down line. But how do you see the the wider future of uh, of the World Endurance Championship? Put it this way, you know, in two thousand eight nine, I was uh, doing the A one GP. And I still had some interest from Formula One side. But then uh, I decided for 2010 to actually forget it all and put my, let's say, all-in <laughs> game, uh, poker game uh, onto uh, 
ELMS, and because I knew there's the ILMC coming at the time, which was before WC started. So that's where Rebellion started in LMP1, and I, I, I really jumped onto that train early because I was thinking that, well, if ILMC, then maybe there's a world championship at some stage. And then 2011, there was Porsche saying that they'll enter, so then it was clear for me. Um, that's the ride I will have to try and get. And yes, it was the right plan. And and now I think it's the same thing. You have to question yourself. What is the next series where you have the biggest opportunity for good racing, international racing, good cars, good competition? And I think uh, right now everyone is waiting for the regulations, um, the new regulations 2021 from, from WEC with the hypercars or what it, what it will be. And this will give us an indication uh, in, in what direction it could go. And I, I really do hope uh, that this takes off again because I think we all enjoyed the hype around LMP1 and WC in 2013, 14, 15, 16. I think we had the peak in 15. Um, I think that's what we all enjoyed and and we all hope that it goes back to that uh and yeah i think we'll just have to wait for what the regulations say you agree gary i do yeah i think you know for for me we'll look back on the years that have just finished you know the um i call it the high-tech era and i don't just look at it as the uh Audi versus Toyota versus Porsche years. For me, it goes back to 07, 08 and Peugeot coming in against Audi. And I think that, that era from really from 08 when sort of Peugeot were up to speed from 08 through to the end of last year produced some of the best sports car racing of all time. You know, we had some amazing Le Mans in those years, you know, some amazing wet races. LMS races and of course LMS races you know when Peugeot were going out to Sebring and uh, Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta it's a classic era and I and I'm sure in years to come we will look back at it uh, as a classic era in the same way as we look back to Group C or perhaps uh, the era of the 917 uh, yeah but the racing trumps all of those periods you know because it's modern racing with reliable cars where endurance racing you know was flat out sprint racing even even for 24 hours the sheer performance of the cars was uh, amazing i think Porsche showed that with the evo car now also what is possible you know that this car can go 12 seconds quicker there's Mm. no other championship no other car that has so much more performance Mm. in it and i'm sure toyota and audi could do the same you know and I think, yeah, that's what made it special, but that caused that hype. And I think 2021 or the new rules, we all hope, uh, can create that on a, obviously on a lower budget. Yes. And obviously there's still great media interest and wider world interest in WEC. Obviously obliged this year to mention Fernando Alonso, but I'm not going to ask you about his performance or anything because it stands for itself, but purely from the perspective of, 
being one of the top drivers in WAC and seeing this kind of circus that surrounded Alonso coming in. Recently, I was, I was at Indy last year when he did the 500 and some of the regular drivers, they were making sort of jokes about the fact that almost everyone became a sideshow to, to Fernando Alonso coming in. How do you find, how have you found the whole impact of, of him coming in? And is it sort of strange that it's drawn in so much extra kind of attention for someone who is effectively a rookie at this level? great a driver as he is uh, to be honest i didn't really analyze analyze that because uh, i think it's it's great that drivers like him want to join the championship um but i think that's what wc what wc has done over the past four years has created the image which made it appealing to many drivers to enter this championship uh, especially the LMP1 cars. It's, uh, you know, there was Nico Hülkenberg, there was others, there were many others who were interested by the, those cars. And I think that's what makes the championship interesting. And, uh, and that's what they need to achieve again for, for the future. And I guess before we let you, uh, let you get on for, to, to focus on preparations for this weekend, what, what are the expectations coming into this weekend then? What, what do you think is, is possible? Well, you know, I, I think Toyota is the favorite, stays the favorite. Uh, we really hope to be just close enough in case they have a hiccup, in case they do something to benefit. Um, we were hoping that at Le Mans, but unfortunately we had like 12, I think 12 laps we were behind. Um, there it showed that, yeah, EOT needed to be a little bit reworked. And so they have done. So, yeah, it will be very interesting to see. But currently, P3 is uh, the new first for everyone else, and that's what we're aiming for. Do you agree with that, Gary? Sounds like you're ready to f- wave the flag for the privateers this No, one. I'm not, I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint anyone. Uh, I think, you know, Toyota, unless they have that little hiccup, are heading, headed for a 1-2 here. Yeah, well, that's, that's the story of the season. Hopefully, uh, Rebellion can be there to pick up the pieces if things do go wrong. Yeah, well, we'll see on the on the first hairpin. Maybe something happens. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it normally does. Well, uh, all the best for the weekend, uh, Neil Jani. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Well, it's been fascinating to hear both from Neil Jani and earlier Mike Conway ahead of this resumption of World Endurance Championship hostilities at Silverstone. It's going to be a cracking weekend of racing. And thanks very much, Gary Watkins, for your insight. Of course, if you've enjoyed listening to this, please check out autosport.com. We'll have all the updates from the weekend from, from Gary and also our plus subscriber area where for a, for a small fee, you can read in-depth comments, articles, interviews from the world's leading motorsport journalists. And that's, that covers everything from WEC to WRC to F1 and Formula E. Also check out Autosport magazine out every Thursday. And also please check out Sister Titles, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly and motorsport.com. If you've enjoyed this, please don't hesitate to give us a review on your podcast downloading platform of choice. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering professional-grade industrial supplies plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.